Translation. O Lord, 
Persons who are entangled by undesirable eagerness for your temporary body and kinsmen and who are bound by thoughts of mine and I are unable to see your lotus feet, although your lotus feet are situated within their own bodies. But let us take shelter of your lotus feet. Such a powerful verse. This verse is uh, a key verse in uh, my upbringing with Krishna consciousness, fortunately. The whole Vedic philosophy of life is that one should get rid of the material entanglement of gross and subtle bodies, which only cause one to continue in a condemned life of miseries. In a condemned life of miseries. That's our situation. This material body continues as long as one is not detached from the false conception of lording it over material nature. The impetus for lording it over material nature is the sense of mine and I. I am the Lord of all I survey. So many things I possess, and I shall possess more and more. Who can be richer than I in wealth and education? I am the master. I am God. Who else is there but me? All of these ideas reflect the philosophy of Aham Mama, the conception that I am everything. Persons conducted by such a conception of life can never get liberation from material bondage. But even a person perpetually condemned to the miseries of material existence can get relief from bondage if they simply agree to hear only Krishna Kata. In this age of Kali, the process of hearing Krishna Kata is the most effective means to gain release from unwanted family affection and thus find permanent freedom in life. The age of Kali is full of sinful reactions and people are more and more addicted to the qualities of this age. But simply by hearing and chanting of Krishna Kata, one is sure to go back to Godhead. Therefore, people should be trained to hear only Krishna Kata by all means in order to get relief from all miseries. Jaya Sri Krishna Chaitanya Prabhu Nityananda Shri Advaita Gadadha Shri Vasudev Gaurabhaktivinda Hare Krishna Hare Krishna 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 Hare Hare Rama Hare Rama 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 Hare Hare My only constant companion, my only friend, my guru, my wealth, that which has delivered me, my great fortune and the source of my good luck, the form through which I taste pleasure, my obeisances to you, O Srimad Bhagavatam. I offer my respectful obeisances to you, O Srimad Bhagavatam. By your recitation, one attains transcendental bliss because your syllables shower pure love of God. You are to be served by everyone, always, for you are an incarnation of Lord Krishna. This verse in purport today are one of those verses in purports we could print out and hang on the wall in our house next to our bed when we're trying to go lazy selves out of the modes of ignorance overnight. I anywhere. Hang it off the mirror in your car. Well, maybe not that. That's a little bit of a hazard. But the point being that this is such an essential instruction and it contains so many potent examples of what life is like here in this material world. 
miseries of material existence, bondage. I mean, all of the, you know, uh, uh, the permanent, I mean, just this incredible amount of, of instruction about how not to behave. And quite frankly, this verse is the exact opposite of the two personalities that we celebrate here today. This verse is a classic example for those of us who are a hummama, completely overwhelmed and confused by the concept of I and mine. Prabhupada speaks on this subject on so, so many of his lectures. Once we step aside from this entangling concept, then we have a small chance of standing in the shadow of such great personalities as Srila Narottam Das Thakur and Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. Regarding the uh, character and activities of Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur, his preaching, his character, his example is the gold standard for Gaudiya Vaishnavas. And for those of the material realm who desire to get themselves free from this mundane life, the character of all Vaishnavas is understood to be profound and unfathomable. Yet, each Vaishnava manifests divine traits in different degrees and in various ways. Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur was focused, he was tenacious, and he was staunch. These are three very, I mean, you hear some, this description of someone, you know that they're, they're serious. Focused, tenacious, and staunch. Like his own guru, Gautam Shodras Babaji, he was steadfast in his renunciation and steadfast in his bhajan. And despite being raised in middle-class comfort, very, uh, a very easy lifestyle with, uh, in, in the home of Bhaktivinoda Thakur, uh, his innate tendency was always towards austerity. Even though these comforts were there, he had no interest in them. As the ideal acharya, he never compromised his practice of devotional principles. Sometimes we find, you know, we have children and it interferes with maybe completing our different types of sadhana, or, you know, we have a job that interferes by being able to attend different functions, all these different kinds of things. Bhakti Siddhanta never, ever compromised any of the principles that he laid out as his life standard. He carefully observed all the details of sadhana bhakti, Simple things that we may consider, such as wearing tilak and regularly chanting the Mahamantra on beads, reciting the Gayatri, attending artis. These are things that were observed with great detail by him. He rose early every morning, usually considerably before anyone else, and he rarely napped during the day. For myself, I find that the older I get, it's very, very easy for me to nap. I used to never nap. I just, it was something I never did, but now, oh, give me five minutes and I'm gone. <clears throat> but the Sanatha never took a nap. Rarely, rarely did he do this. Being an Itchasiddha, there was no need for him to follow all of these austerities, all of these strict ordinances that are meant for the purpose of uplifting neophytes like ourselves. Why do we do all these things? It's not because it's, you know, the only path to love of Godhead. It's because... We have no taste for these, and by doing them, we develop a taste. And that gives us all of God. But he did so as an example, meant to uplift the rest of society and to develop faith in his disciples and in the public at large, that they would see these examples and develop faith and trust in him and follow his instructions. 
he, he was concerned that if he didn't embrace these things himself, then no one would follow his instructions. So example and instructions, they had to go side by side. Whatever he asked of others, he himself would follow. We have this classic example um, that's often used in American culture, and I personally had it in my life. When I became a young teenage boy and the influence for smoking cigarettes was there, my parents at the time were smoking cigarettes, but when my father realized he had to stop me from smoking cigarettes by telling me not to, he also gave up cigarettes. So such things as that, you know, I can't tell you not to do something if I'm doing it. So this is the example that Bhakti Senator kept in his mind. If I don't follow these things, regularly wear tilak, regularly chant on the beads, regularly perform doctors, regularly attend artists, perform these illustrious, so on and so on and so on, then I can't instruct others to do so. They won't have the faith to do it. He, he felt that if I relaxed my standards even slightly, the Krita Sahajas will take advantage of this as an excuse to whimsically neglect the scripturally prescribed regulations of devotional service. We have regulations in devotional service to differ us from those that just willy-nilly followers, one might say. It should be understood, Siddhanta Sarasatvatakura was very intense. He was often described as this way. He was intensely desired that everyone he came in contact with, that everyone, indeed the entire universe, would embrace the mood of complete dedicated service to Sri Krishna. His entire personality was just an example of him and, and, and uh, a permeate with the rejection of anything worldly. And because of his insistence on this, he insisted that others would similarly abandon their own attachments and fully surrender to Krishna. And this often was seen as a very aggressive way of preaching and was misunderstood by some who came to him for help and thought, he, oh, he's just too heavy. But this was the necessity to give this example. To be in the presence of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur is often said it just inspired awe and respect in a person. His glance was very, very powerful and it penetrated in a way that very few could bear it. There are certain devotees who, when we're in their company, I mean, I experience this, certain devotees that I hold very uh, elevated and dear that I, I can't look directly at them just because their vision is so powerful, I feel very uncomfortable around them, like, oh, they, they know what a nonsense I am. And this was the gaze that Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati had, and many were uh, uh, very, uh, uh, cautious to be him. Um, many smug, high-minded people became very humbled and submissive simply by being in his company. There was one Maharaj, um, Maharaj Adiraj Vijay Chandra Bahadura of Gordon. He was very, by that name, you can understand he's a very elevated position. This is one thing, the longer your name is apparently, the more uh, elevated you are materially. And uh, so he tells the story how he would often go to hear and see Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. And of course, coming before Sadhu, he would bow at his feet every time he did. And yet at one point he thought, I'm the great Maharaja Bridwan. Why am I bowing to this Sadhu? 
among all the highly respectable people in the Bengali society, none are more famous or more respected than I am. So who is this sadhu in comparison to my elevated status? Why should I prostrate myself before him? Next time I go, I will not bow before him. Let's see what his reaction is. So we see this attitude that he's thinking is exactly what's described in today's verse. I am my, I have so much, I am the Lord. What, what's that Robert says here? I am God, who else is there but me? So he's thinking like this. I am the great Maharaja Burdwan. I'm very respected. This sadhu, who is it? I won't bow to him and we'll see what happens. So on his next visit, he barged into the room without all the proper etiquette and anything, and he blurted, I've come and have something to say to you. And he says, before he could speak any further, he, he felt internally impelled to place his head on the floor and automatically bow down before Bhaktisiddhanta. So even he tried to resist it, he couldn't do so. So powerful was this relationship that he had. Now, although Siddhanta Saraswati manifested different moods at different times, he was always thinking of Krishna and was never frivolous, mundane, or mediocre. Interesting word, mediocre. Yeah, he's mediocre. It comes with that kind of, you know, that hand movement. Very yeah, easily dismissive, someone's mediocre. This is never a word used to describe Siddhanta Saraswati. And occasionally, he would become internally very pensive and very withdrawn, thinking very deeply about devotional matters. Sometimes he would speak so ferociously, this is why he was called the lion guru by many, that others were unnerved and very uh, uh, scared to be in his presence. Um, one of the items a devotee always strives for is seeing Krishna everywhere, trying to see everything they come in contact with in relationship to Krishna. This is something we train ourselves in. I had the good fortune, uh, we just had, I mean, everybody knows by now that I work at Rose, we just had a reset on the plumbing faucets. They took all the old ones down, and one of the new lines that came in was the Veda line. And they're black. So I saw this and I'm like, oh, okay, Krishna's come to my department to remind me about him. So this is how we have to train ourselves, you know? So Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur exemplified Lord Chaitanya's statement that wherever the eyes fall, let Krishna Prima fill those eyes. So he would only see Krishna. Now, even when he was observing the plowing of the local fields, Siddhanta Saraswati would think that this action of plowing is service to Krishna because they're plowing to plant fruits and vegetables which will be collected and then offered to the deity in the mud. <clears throat> when he would be in a mountainous region, his thoughts would inevitably turn towards Govardhan. And with great enthusiasm, he would then continuously speak to whatever companions were in his company about the pastimes of this most famous of hills, Sri Gudidaj. So this pure, natural, spontaneous, intense, uninterrupted attachment for Shishi Radha and Krishna was Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati's inert focus. This combined with his ability and his fervent desire to give Krishna's to others in every situation, this revealed him to be an intimate associate of Lord Chaitanya who had come to this world to execute and assist in executing the mission of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu.
So, such a wonderful, powerful personality. His preaching, his powerful nature defied the accusations of many others that uh, this path of bhakti, it's simply for the weaklings, for the effeminate. This is uh, an accusation given even back to the time of Mahaprabhu, Prakasananda Saraswati. <clears throat> the ac accusation was there, oh, there's these kirtan people, all they have is some emotion, they have no understanding of anything. Bochitanya uh, gave a, a completely different version of that. His own mood, Bhaktisanatha's mood is like that. Despite his hard exterior, he was extraordinarily humble internally. Not like we read in this verse, somebody who has a, a big position and thinks a lot of themselves. He had a very prominent, but he, he was very, very humble. Whenever he would uh, uh, describe himself uh, to others, he would describe himself as a fallen soul and would request blessings not only from other sadhus, but from his own disciples. He would join his palms together, Dasoshi. I am the servant. <coughs> Even he would make this uh, offering before people would come and offer their respects to him. No one was allowed to touch his feet. No outsider and disciples even. He prohibited even initiated disciples to touch his feet. He just didn't let it happen. He remembered, he had, he had a, a crystal clear memory. He would remember the name of every disciple. Now, we all have the experience, I'm sure, of being with one of our god brothers and they'll say, what's that disciple's name? But here, Bhakti Center, not only do you remember all the disciples that he met, but if he returned to a place that he hadn't been to in a very long time, he would remember the names of the individuals in that mat and what they did. Excellent memory. He inherited from his father and mentor, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, the urge to preach, just like his father. He was energized by Bhaktivinoda Thakur's vision of Sudha Bhakti. And, and diffusing this throughout the entire globe, giving that all the jivas in the entire universe should become Krishna conscious. He wanted to capture this whole realm away from the hand of Maya and convert everything to Krishna consciousness. And he couldn't tolerate any place that would be devoid of this mood of Krishna Bhakti. He would immediately infuse that Krishna Bhakti there by his own uh, areas. And this wasn't restricted just to the horizon of Bengal. He wanted to annihilate the misconceptions at all levels in the entire human culture. He wanted to give full-fledged theism and devotion to God, to everyone. And this might seem like an impossible task, and indeed it was seen that way. But he took it as his duty to spread the Sutta Bhakti at any cost to every situation. To establish Lord Chaitanya's mission, without any concern for caste or creed or social standing or stereotypes or dogmas or whatever mental conception one had, his mood was to be revolutionary in his preaching style and give Krishna consciousness like this to everyone. So, although his efforts were concentrated in Bengal, where Gaudiya Vaishnavism had lost its original dynamics due to the influence of so many outside uh, uh, ideas, he saw widespread that the Vaishnava Dharma should go all throughout the world. That the preaching of the message of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu would 
do away with the uh, uh, persons who recite mantras for money, who are uh, flesh-eating devotees, as he used the word. And some devotees, they, you know, devotees, they would take different types of uneatable foods. Uh, cheaters who were comparing themselves and presenting themselves as avatars and Siddha Pranali and Nishi, all of these different things that were becoming widespread. He preached very strongly against these to establish this devout teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, you know, he said preaching means fighting. And Saraswati Thakur, he lived for truth. And like the valiant warrior that he was, he never hesitated to attack any type of falsity that he found. A wonderfully bold statement to conclude our reading on Bhaktisiddhanta. He never hesitated to attack falsity wherever he found it. So today we also celebrate the appearance day of Shivnartam Das Thakur, a wonderful inspiration, a hero, a shining example for devotees both in the historic times and in our modern times. The um, The life of Naratam, I mean, we have basically 35 minutes, and that's just an impossible task. I mean, on my own YouTube channel, I've got six or seven classes on Naratam. If you go to Sitala's YouTube channel, she probably has 20 classes on Naratam. I was listening to one of them this morning before I came. So how to speak of Naratam. So I want to uh, hone in, if you will, on five essential points in the life of Nathan Dastakur. One is his appearance being foretold by Mahaprabhu and the depositing of prema for him. Two is the dream of encouragement from Lord Nityananda and receiving the previously mentioned prema. Three is his mood upon entering into Vrindavan. Four is his acceptance as a disciple of Lokanath Goswami. And five is his establishing of the famous Pitri Festival. I'm going to try and cover these five points. <clears throat> First of all, we, we should understand that there are few examples of Mahaprabhu predicting the appearance of great Vaishnavas, even fewer of him predicting those that would come after his disappearance. We find this uh, particular pastime wonderfully described in Sitala's book on the life of Naratam, which, by the way, if you don't have, when you get finished with this class, you go home, you go to Amazon, you order it, it'll be there in two days. They've got it. So you should have that book in your home. Your home will become glorious by having this book in it, trust me. What to speak of your consciousness if you actually read it. So, <clears throat> devotees, they were, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and a small group of devotees were out doing Harnam, Nagar Sankirtan, village to village. Uh, and the group was uh, himself, Nityananda, Vakreshwar Pandit, Haridas Thakur, um, one or two others like this. So they were uh, going along the banks of the Padmapati River, and suddenly Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu stopped. And motionlessly he stared across the river to the then existing village of Ketari. And he called out in a very loud voice with his hands raised in the air, Narutam! Oh, Narutam! His body began to tremble, 
Tears flowed from his eyes uncontrollably, and he was overwhelmed and started to stagger, and he grabbed on to Nehemiah's shoulder for support, and ultimately collapsed into the ground, rolling in the dust on the banks of the river there, continually crying out the name, Narutam, Narutam. Now, Nehemiah and the others were a little bewildered, by Mahaprabhu's sudden outburst, and they stopped the kirtan and gathered around him. They were glancing at each other quite uncertainly, and they sang the holy name a little more softly, hoping to revive the Lord, waiting for his ecstatic trance to, to end. And kneeling on the ground, Nityananda Prabhu whispered sweet words of pacification, different names of the Lord, into the ear of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Chaitanya Mahaprabhu then threw his arms around the neck of Nityananda and he continued crying, calling out the name Narutama, The devotees became a little worried. They hadn't seen this particular kind of manifestation from Mahaprabhu. And, and Nityananda turned to Pakreshwar Pandit and he said, I've never seen our Lord shed such profuse tears. And so hoping to revive the Lord, Pakreshwar Pandit started a kirtan glorifying Lord Jagannath. <clears throat> Hearing this glorification of Lord Jagannath, Mahaprabhu regained his composure. He sat up and wiped the tears from his eyes and he motioned Nittai to come close and he whispered into Nittai, 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 you know that the Sankirtan movement is everything to me. It is my very life. I want everyone in the world to taste the nectar of the holy name. But Nanitai, soon you and I will depart this world. Who will continue to spread this message of love of God when we are gone? Who will keep this flame of love that I have brought into this world burning? Before I leave, I must empower someone to carry on this Sankirtan movement. I have such a wealth of love of Godhead. This is rare that Mahaprabhu would speak about himself this way. I have such a wealth of love of God. I must leave it with someone. But who is qualified to inherit such riches as these? And Nityananda said very softly, he said, my Lord, you know everything. Only you can answer that question. Is there someone capable of carrying on their mission? Is there someone worthy of inheriting your prema? Yes, Nitai, Mahaprabhu said, there is or there will be, and his name is Narutam. Nishinanda questioned him, said, Narutam? He said, who is Narutam? He was thinking, and he discussed with the Krishna, there's no one in our uh, associates named Narutam, I've never heard this name before. And then Nishinanda said, just a few minutes ago, you were crying his name so hard that I feared for your very life. But we don't know anyone named Narutam amongst your associates. And then Mahaprabhu revealed, he said, Nartam has not yet appeared in this world. But soon, soon, I mean, in this course, soon, some great number of years later, he said, soon he will take birth nearby at the village of Petri across the Padmavati River here. Nartam will be such a wonderful devotee that every word coming from his mouth will be filled with love of God. And anyone who sings his praises will certainly obtain love of God. If that statement right there doesn't encourage us to speak about Narutam, what hope is there for us? Anyone who sings the praises of Narutam will certainly attain love of God. 
If I leave my love with him, it is certain that the nectarian ocean of Sankirtan will continue to spread and flood the entire universe in the future. So Mahaprabhu was thinking like this, as we see in this description of Bhakti Siddhanta. He wanted the entire world to be Krishna conscious. But he knew, I'm only here for a short time. My leader is not going to be here forever. So who will carry this on? This is who will carry it on. So, you know, the question, Mahaprabhu, he was a bit puzzled. He said, but, of course, you know, this is all display for Nityananda, because Nityananda and Mahaprabhu are one in heart. They know the same things. But Nityananda is important. He says, but if this Narakama has not yet taken his birth, how will you give your love to him? <coughs> Mahaprabhu then stood up and smiled. He said, you will see. At this point, something extraordinary happened that had not been observed previously. Mahaprabhu entered into the Padmavati River, just across from the village of Ketri. When he entered into the Padmavati River, the river itself began to experience ecstatic symptoms due to coming in contact with the body of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. Waves began to roar and reach up higher as if arms reaching up out of the water. And the personality of Padma River, Padmavati herself, appeared before Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with folded hands. My dear Lord, what can I do for you? What service can I offer you? Mahaprabhu said, I am going to deposit with you my prema. Imagine this. I'm going to deposit with you my love of God for you to give in the future to Narottam. When Narottam comes and bathes in your waters, you then give him this love of God that you're holding for him. Padmavati folded your hands and says, Yes, my Lord, but I have a question. If so many people come and bathe in my waters, how will I know which one's Narottam? It's like, you know, I mean, hundreds of people come to the Padmavati River to take bath and become purified. How will I know which one's like, When you react, just as you reacted when I entered your water, then you will know that is Narottam. So Mahaprabhu not only predicts Narottam is coming, he takes his embodiment of love of God, which interestingly enough does not diminish his own love of God. What's this? Om Panamadapunamanyam. The complete perfect and the complete whole, that complicated verse in the Shri Shabbana said. So this is an example of how he manifests something from himself that has its full potency but doesn't diminish himself. And he places this as Padma and instructs her to give it to Narottam. So this is the first thing about Narottam's life. He's predicted by Mahaprabhu. And not just, oh yeah, in the future somebody will come. But this whole network of foundation to it, anticipating the arrival of Narottam Dasnakur. Secondly, we find the, uh, after Narottam's birth, and the, you know, the, the, we're short-stepping all of these to cover these points, and this is why I encourage you to read Sitala's uh, book, because everything is given in great detail. So after his birth and his main ceremony and develops an attachment for Mahaprabhu, and that within itself is an entire amazing story, and in great part due to the uh, accommodations that his father, uh, Krishnananda Dutt, would provide for pilgrims. So all of this develops within Narottam as a desire 
to want to become a part of Mahaprabhu's mission, to want to avoid, as it says in this forefoot, being entangled with family attachment. So now Tom's laying on his bed one night and he's thinking, I cannot bear to hear another word from my parents about managing properties and collecting taxes and getting married. I have absolutely no interest in these things. All I want to do is dedicate my life fully to the service of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. He sighs very deeply at this thought and finally he says to himself, I want so much just to go to Vrindavan. I desperately want to meet the associates of Mahaprabhu. I could not meet Mahaprabhu himself, but at least if I can meet Sri Rupa, Sanatan, Raghunath. Many of them are very, very old by now. How much longer will they remain in this world? I have got to go to Vrindavan before it is too late. I must figure out a way to leave home. So he laid there in his bed with all these different thoughts of Vrindavan sharing through his mind, giving him great pleasure, and at the same time, torturing him in a mood of separation. Finally, late into the night, he falls asleep. Sometimes some of us suffer from insomnia. You know how it is, you're laying there for hours, and uh, 11 o'clock, oh, 1 o'clock. Oh, finally, about 2.30 or 3, you fall asleep, and you have to get up very shortly after that, you know? Nartam wasn't restless about this. This was all his ecstasies. So late into the night, he falls asleep, and Nichinanda appears to him in a vision. Some call it a dream, some call it a vision, call it what you want. Nichinanda doesn't appear to me at night. So Nichinanda appears to him, and his face is more beautiful than millions of moons. Tall, strong, heroic stature, long arms, beautiful limbs, uh, decorated with golden armlets and banglets. And smiling, he reached down and touched the shoulder of Narantam and said, Narantam, Go at once to the Padmavati River. Take bath in those waters. Padmavati Devi has a gift for you. And then the Lord disappeared. Now, if Nityananda appears to you in a dream and tells you to do something, it's time to get up, take a shower, and follow it. So, <clears throat> Nartam woke up. He was quite astonished and, and, and overcome in devotional ecstasies at this. And he jumped right out of bed, uh, uh, you know, figured out a way out of the palace. It actually describes that he got out of a window and slid down a roof and dropped to the ground. Um, you know, every teenager knows how to get out of the house. We've all experienced this with your parents. Uh, at any rate, he figured a way out. Fortunately, it was still dark, so there was no, no way he was noticing anything. And he squeezed through and dropped to the ground and then headed to the Padmapati River. <clears throat> he excited me and expectantly approached the Padmavati River, bowed down, chanting the holy name of the Lord the whole time. He entered the water and called out the name, Goranga, Goranga. And when Mahaprabhu had entered the water, Narutam, Narutam, as he entered into the cool water, as it swirled around his legs, it began churning more rapidly and raising and more and more waves, and the waves swept over the banks Patmavati Devi knew this was the time. So she manifested and stood before Mahaprabhu. And smilingly, she said, Before you were born, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu left this love of Prema with me, with the instructions that I am giving it to you. Now please take it. And this golden hue transferred to the body of Narutam. Now, 
Prior to this, Naratam was known as Shambhana. He had a kind of darkish complexion. But when this love of God from Mahaprabhu ended him, his whole complexion turned to golden color. <clears throat> this was one of the reasons that later it was difficult for his parents to distinguish it was him until the mother came. Um, as he became infused with his love of Godhead, he returned to the bank and fainted underneath the tree. This place is called Padmavali. Padmavali Prima. And if you're fortunate, you can get a little bit of dust from there, a little water for the Padma River, and a piece of that tree, and you put them in a little box and set them in their home. So, at any rate, hearing all of this, he completely fell to the ground in a mood of ecstasy, experiencing all of this. So, this is the first two amazing things in Naratama's life. This promoted him to really push to escape his home, and here again, we're stepping around these pastimes. <clears throat> then eventually, he was able to escape the house. He was able to travel through the forest, no written path, because after all, he's the Yobaraj, he's the prince. He's due to take over the kingdom of, of Krishna and the duck, and he doesn't want this, so he has to hide, he has to escape, he has to travel incognito. No food, no Google Maps, make a left at the next tree, go down to the third sandy path, make a right, nothing like that. Just wandering, wandering, going down in this direction. <clears throat> he finally reaches Vrindavan. And the mood upon which he enters Vrindavan is very instructive for us. I mean, for us in our modern time, you know, going to Vrindavan is pretty simple. I mean, you know, you put your ticket on a credit card. You don't have to worry about paying it now. You'll pay it off eventually. You get on a plane in a mere 15 hours. We think, oh, God, 15 hours on a plane. How about 15 weeks traveling from one place to another? And, you know, boom. You get in the train. We, taxi's there waiting for us. Somebody's got a sign with our name on it. We're an honored person. You know, you know boom, boom. We get in the car. We're driven right to our residence. Somebody's waiting for us with a key to the room. And there's a bed and a shower. And, oh, it's so comfortable. so easy to go to Ringo. But what is our mood when we go? That's what we have to ask ourselves. When Naratam, he arrives on the border of Vrindavan, he walks very swiftly. He's headed north along a dusty path. And as he enters the Vrindavan area, he comes closer and closer. The more nervous and the more uneasy he became internally. Now, he's just made this incredible journey. In and of itself, this journey is a book. He finally arrives in Vrindavan and he thinks, how is it possible that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu was such, such a low and unqualified person as me to this sacred land of Vrindavan? I know so little about spiritual life. Will a great soul such as Lokanath Swami Prabhu actually accept me as his servant? Will Gopal Bhatta Goswami allow me to touch his lotus feet? Will Jiva Goswami love a fallen soul like myself? So in this way, he's walking on what at the time was pure sandy paths. Some of us have the fortune of remembering Vrindavan before everything became asphalt. And such a wonderful mood. He's walking in this sand and his heart's racing and his body's trembling and he's becoming overwhelmed by the intensity of this 
spiritual atmosphere permeates everything. Are we entering in Randabi feeling like that? Everything he saw seemed to shimmer in self-refulgence. Nartam picked up a few grains of the sand. If you've ever put, picked up a handful of the sand in Raman Reiki, it's got like specks of diamonds in it. This palm full here is more precious than any of the collection of gemstones one can put in their hand. Look to him like diamonds reflecting in the sun. This is Chintamani, Naratam said. Everything here is made of the divine touchstones. This land is identical to Krishna's transcendental abode in the spiritual sky, Koloka Vrindavan. He put the sand back on the ground and momentarily crossed, crossed, closed his eyes. But one must have transcendental vision to see it. Even at this point, with this mood of humility, he's questioning his own spiritual vision. Stopping to gaze at a few cows taking shelter from the sun under a small penumbra tree, Naratam was filled with awe and reverence. This is the actual place where Krishna herded his cows. This is where he danced with the gopis. This is where he played with the cowherd boys. This is where he killed so many demons and protected the inhabitants. Oh, please, my dear Lord. Help me to cleanse my mind of all material anxieties and desires so that I will also be able to understand Vrindavan. Only then will my spiritual life be successful. Not just going to Vrindavan. We often say when we're speaking Vrindavan, we don't come to Vrindavan as a tourist, as a shopper. Just to go to Lily Bazaar, just to, you know, say I went here, I went there, I saw this, I saw that. No, we want to purify ourselves have that mood of Krishna conscious awakening within our hearts. He continued walking and thinking like this. Every living entity of Vrindavan is special. When Krishna was present here, all the residents of Vrindavan, even the birds, trees, cows, rivers, they were all absorbed in trying to please the Lord. That is the spirit of all the bridge buses. They love Krishna so much they have no concern for their own happiness. We see this directly in the pastimes of uh, the gopis of uh, Vrindavan and how they sacrificed everything simply for the pleasure of Krishna. How wonderful it would be, he thought, if I were so unselfish and loving to want to give everything to Krishna. Now I'm here in this transcendental land of Vrindavan, hearing the same sounds and seeing the same sights that were seen and heard by Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. And as he thought in this way, the ecstasy of Indian Vrindavan increased with every step, and tears began to pour from his eyes to the point where he could barely see the path clearly in front of him. The pathway widened out a bit from the small walking path and several sadhus that were in the area joined and walked along with Naratam. Besides, there were small clusters of mud huts and Naratam turned to his companions there. He said, is this Vrindavan? And the sadhus in between there chanting on their beads nodded their head and said, yai, radhe, radhe, radhe. And upon hearing this, Transcendental love blossomed even more in the heart of Nartam as he knew he was actually in the Holy Dham. He knelt down and rolled in the dust, smearing it all over his head and his body. To think that not only did Lord Krishna himself walk on this ground, but also did Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. In the distance, he heard the faint chime of cartels. And it reminded Naratama of what his purpose was. He got up from the holy sands, squinted into the distance. 
Kartels means a kirtan. Kirtan means devotees. So he saw in the distance a temple and he thought, maybe Lokanath Goswami was there, maybe Gopalpati Goswami, Jiva Goswami were there. He could make out just barely in the distance an outline of a temple, but which temple is it? Should he go there? And at this point, a group of barefoot local ladies were walking by with clay pots of water on their head and laughing and talking amongst themselves. And Naratama interrupted him and said, uh, which temple is that, please? And they looked at him curiously, like, you got to go Vindaji Mandir. Oh, go Vindaji Mandir. Oh, oh, oh. So Naratam thanked them very much and immediately broke into a run. Literally a run. Now, after all the traveling, it's surprising he's even standing up, but broke into a run and headed straight to the temple. He ran into the courtyard and he fainted on the ground in ecstasy in front of the Vindaji. Now, it seems that the arrival, the news of his arrival in Vrindavan had spread, but when he regained consciousness laying on the ground and opened his eyes and looked up. He was surrounded by a large group of curious devotees. You can imagine someone runs into our temple and faints in front of the deities. There's going to be a few devotees standing around him and, you know, trying to figure out what's going on. And he was surprised to hear someone say, yes, yes, this is indeed Maritam. And the effulgent devotee that leaned over him said, Maritam. Welcome to Vrindavan. I am Jiva Goswami. Naritam looked up and said, Jiva Goswami, and he fainted again. So this is the mood that Naritam enters into Vrindavan. Do we have that mood? Can we have that mood? It's there available for us. The fourth topic we would like to discuss is his initiation. This is a well-known and detailed story. It's told by many. Um, it's very well-known to all of us. But it shows a mood of total devotion to one's accepted guru. And in this case, the guru that Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu had instructed both Lokanath and Nartam that they would meet in this way. So after some time in being settled, one day Nartam asked him, Jiva Goswami, he said, Sri Lokanath has entered my heart and made me his servant. I am completely sold out to him. Do you think that he will accept me as his disciple? Jiva Goswami shook his head sadly and said, I'm afraid not. He has taken a vow not to accept any disciples. In fact, he rarely even talks to anyone. He lives the life of a reclusive hermit. Naratama was very distraught to hear this. His heart sank and he stuttered, but, but, but I've already accepted him as my spiritual master. And with great pleading in his eyes, he looked at Jiva Goswami and begged, please, could, could you at least introduce me to him? Yes, yes, of course, Jiva Goswami said. And they went to the place where bhajan was being performed by Lokanath Goswami. As they entered into the place, they Nartam stayed a little back, and Jiva Goswami offered his obeisances to Lokanath, so to speak. And he said to Lokanath, he said, The son of a king of Khetri, Rajkumar Nartam, has arrived from Dhaban and would like to meet you. Lokanath looked up, and was quite elderly at this point, looked up and glanced off in the dishes and in the distance he saw there on the bushes on the perimeter of his area was uh, Nartam. 
Narutam hesitantly lowered his head and Jibhagoswami called him forward. Jibhagoswami said to Lokanath, he said, this young boy's acute renunciation and devotion are inconceivable. He reminds me of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu with his golden complexion and trembling body. What an assessment by Jiva Goswami of Narutam Dastakur as he presents him to Lokanath Goswami. Lokanath Goswami smiled very brightly and tears began to pour in his eyes. And he said to Narasama, I knew you would come. It was revealed to me by Mahaprabhu in a dream last night. And Narutam became very uh, appreciative and uncomfortable at the same time that he had been, he has a connection here now, but it had been because Mahaprabhu had spoken about him. So, to be in the presence of Lokanath and hear this was just, as we use the word nowadays, awesome, dude. <laughs> so, um, Jiva Goswami encouraged Lokanath, why don't you come to the Govindaji temple and the three of us will take prasadam together. So they arrived back at Govindaji Mandir, and three seats were arranged for them to take prasadam. And Narutam's thinking, I'm not sitting down with Jiva Goswami and Lokanath and eating This is way, as we say in the uh, uh, vernacular, this is way above my pay grade. <laughs> and, but Jiva looked at him and encouraged, no, sit. Now if Jiva Goswami tells you to sit down and take your son, you're going to sit down and take your son. So he sits down. And during the meal, Jiva Goswami asked Narutam, please tell Lokanath Goswami about how you came to Vrindavan. And he introduces the subject to Lokanath. He has traveled through such great difficulties. Although he is the son of a king, he has taken on such austerity. He has received the mercy of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu from Padmavati. So Narutam tells the story. Imagine relaying this story of receiving the mercy of Padmavati, through, the Mahaprabhu through Padmavati to Lokanath Goswami. And then as he concludes the story, he turns to Lokanath and he says, but I have no right to sit with you and eat prasadam. I do not even have a guru. And to Narutam's surprise, Lokanath laughed at this idea. He said, Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, the guru of the universe, has given you divine love. The same love most devotees pray to get their entire lives. What more do you want? What is the value of having another guru? <clears throat> and Narutam says, it is true that Mahaprabhu is the only real guru, but it is his order to me that I take initiation from you. He has spoken this to me in a dream. Narutam's had many dreams throughout his life. Lokanath's not moved by this. He's already taken his father from him. He said, a guru guides his disciple in practical spiritual life. Narutam's continuing. He says, I have no guru, so who will guide me on the path of devotion? Unless one serves a pure devotee, he cannot obtain liberation by directly serving Krishna. He must serve the servant of Krishna. Gopi Bhartha Kamalaya, Gopi Bhartha Parakamalaya, Dasa, 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 Dasa. Who has, and then he asks the question, who has ever been elevated to pure love of God without rendering service to a Vaishnava? Yes, Lokanath said, certainly the guru is required, but one must find a qualified guru. 
I cannot even become a devotee myself, so how can I help you become a devotee? Nartam, please. Please, my dear Prabhu. People call me a prince, but I'm actually just a beggar. I have renounced the world and have come here in hope and finding Krishna. I am like a ship without a rudder. A very wonderful example. I am not able to find the path along which I should go. It is not possible to find Krishna without the mercy of a guru. Lokanatha waves his hand dismissively. Now the scriptures recommend that an aspiring disciple chant the holy names of Krishna for at least one year before he is eligible for initiation. Lokanatha embraces this and says nothing more. He's just received his first instruction from Lokanath Goswami. Well, ultimately, of course, we know Lokanath does accept him. When he accepts him, Lokanath says to him, by the strength of your vow, you have broken my vow. What a wonderful statement. The last item I'd like to cover in six minutes <clears throat> is what I feel may be the most important point, and that is the festival of the Keturi. This was a festival established not only for the purpose of honoring the birth of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, it's understood to be the first proper Gopurnima festival, not only for the purpose of installing the six wonderful Gis, Gauranga Balabhikantha, Sri Krishna Braj Mohan, Radharaman He Radhe Radhakantha Namostute, this is the third general Mata offered upon seeing these six Gis, but more to the point, there was a symposium held at that time to establish the foundation for the true and pure teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and to unite all the branches of Gaudiya followers under one standard. At this time, there was some differences between the Vrindavan Goswamis and the Bengali Gaudiya Vaishnavas and there were many different apasampradayas that had developed at this time. Various concocted philosophies were being taught, and there was a serious rift between the foundation of the Vrindavan Goswamis based on all the writings of the Goswamis at the time, because remember, at that time, in Vrindavan, this was where all the literatures were. So, at this time, Janavamata, who was the head of the Sampradaya at that time, for lack of a better description, reaches out to Jiva Swami and requests that the books be shared to Bengal. Now this is particularly important because this includes the Chaitanya Charitamrita. Chaitanya Charitamrita is used as the foundation upon which to establish the principles of Mahaprabhu's teachings and to establish the foundation which will eliminate the different factions and deviations, all of this happens at the Katuri Festival. Discussions, uh, debates, and then ultimate judgment by Janava Mata. And we find that even though the Goswamis in Vrindavan had uh, you know, established Krishna Bhakti very solidly on this teaching. In Bengal, this was not the case. There was, uh, um, these different factions were all based on emotions and, as I say, concocted ideas and so on and so on. And this period of time, all the different Goswami literature was being produced, and this is why it is eventually sent 
through the vehicle of Jiva Goswami to the different areas in Bengal, West Bengal, East Bengal, and Arisa by these three famous devotees, as we know, Shamananda, Nartandas Thakur, and Srinivasacharya. These three had studied in Vrindavan underneath Jiva Goswami, and it was established that they would, because they were the most capable preachers, they would take these teachings to their different places, and particularly Nartam establishing their presentation at the Keturi festival. And this became the foundation upon which the cohesive nature of the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu came to point. Um, the, the emergence, if you could say, of the Sanskrit and Bengali moods, you know, because as it's mentioned, Chaitanya Chakramita was written in simple Bengali verse. The purports and the explanations of Kaviraj Goswami and our own Srila Prabhupada are very deep. But it was written in a way that it was accessible to regular common people, so to speak. So in this way, we have this great Mahotsava, which establishes almost an institutional foundation or forum by which the teachings of Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu in the Vaishnava community are more or less established and, and cemented by this festival. So this is one of the important festivals that is there in our Gaudiya history and one of the very essential means that it is. Because prior to this, there was no international organization or even India-wide organization governing these things, so to speak. But by the uh, lack of that, so many factions had developed. And by the establishing of this council, this uh, forum there at Keturi, under the jurisdiction of Janavamata, uh, the Chaitanya became a cohesive instrument to bring all the bodies together in this manner. So in, in this way, we see from just scratching a little bit of the surface here of Narutam Dastakor's pastimes, that he was a bold, dynamic, and very well-educated preacher who had a long-term vision of spreading Krishna consciousness everywhere, just as we see in the examples given today of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur. So these five points, these are five essential points to the life of Dharatam. And we can uh, try and remember these. The prediction of his appearance by Mahaprabhu and the depositing of Prema for him, the dream by Nityananda encouraging him to go and receive that prema. His mood upon entering into Vrindavan. His acceptance as a disciple of Lokanath Goswami. And his establishing of the Ketri festival and the importance of that festival. So we'll finish there for today. Um, one thing I would like to uh, um, offer this is a turban you see sitting here that was worn by Braj Mohan, one of these six deities installed by Narakam Dastakur. So if you'd like to come forward and receive the blessings on your head, we're happy to share that. We've been fortunate to uh, have this as one of the possessions that we serve. And we thank you all very much for this opportunity to briefly speak about Narakam Dastakur. Order the book. Read the book. Embrace the book. Hi, Krishna.